and welcome to the midweek Manchester is Red off script pod with me, Seb Parkinson. And I'm delighted to be joined by a purple jumper wearing Sam Hutchison. Sam, your green corduroy shirt from last week has been replaced by this beautiful lilac pink Nike jumper. Tell me all about it. Uh, it's a lilac pink Nike jumper. Wow. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. <laughs> every We start this every week with the same same joke, aren't we? Bad joke. <laughs> yes. Well, this is the Manchester is Red off-script pod, as I've already said. The podcast where we talk about whatever's going on in the world of Man United and a little bit of real-world stuff as well. Last week, we were talking about what it's like having a six-year-old daughter. Me going on a passionate d- discussion about, um, you know, the fact that you're allowed to uh, to express how frustrated you are as a parent especially at this time you're when the kids are off school we also talked a lot about transfers we also talked a lot about a lot of different things to be honest i was telling you all about boxing did you know i went to la <laughs> you've been to san diego after you got offered for a, a beer but uh, yeah let's get straight into it sam it's wednesday it's manchester united's midweek and well where do we start i'll tell you where we're going to start sam england on monday the england women beat nigeria on penalties Lauren James got herself sent off. And you know what? We were watching it, weren't we? And it was like, that was what Wayne Rooney did yeah. almost against, was it Carvalho in the 2006 World Cup? Yeah. I think it was Ricardo Carvalho, wasn't it? I think so. And then you said, oh, it was also like when David Beckham kicked out against. And it's like, no matter what happens in football, we can always link it back to Man United. Yeah. Man, United. Man United. I love that. Man United. But uh, yeah, um, Lauren James, you know, what do you think? Did she deserve to go? Yeah, if she stood on the player, we'd know. She could have not stood on the player and she did on purpose, I think. It's harsh one. I do think she didn't stamp on her. She just used her as a springboard, which you shouldn't really do on a football pitch. I don't think it's really acceptable. But I hope it doesn't mean, it doesn't derail England's chances of the Women's World Cup trophy, really, because... We have looked fantastic so far in the tournament and Lauren James has probably been the best player. Um, she was probably on for best player of the tournament. So She's not going to play again now, is she, I believe? Uh, she's definitely out for one. She could be out for more than that, basically. Yeah. It's up to a disciplinary board. Um, so we've no idea. Um, she's definitely out for the next game anyway. Well, there might, there might not be another one after it, but hopefully, yeah, Serena Wagman's uh, England team coming through. And do you know what? Serena Wagman's one of those managers where I, I actually can see her managing in the men's game if she wants to. She's that good. And I think that it's, it's you know, we've had that, that the lady at the Forest Green who sort of, they made a big news story about it that she was interim and then she was replaced by replaced a man anyway. a week later. Yeah, yeah, which is a bit disappointing. But I think that Serena Wagman and... Um, and uh, Emma Hayes Emma at Chelsea Hayes, is, yeah. is another one that, that I would quite comfortably see managing a men's team. And, and I think it's not too far away before that before that happens. No, I hope it's not too far away. We don't want it to be gendered like that. They've got great tactical minds. They're good managers. So We've seen not? officials now that are, yeah. that are women. And I think that there may be a referee soon to be, uh, even the Championship or the Premier League. I can't remember what, what it was that I said that, there's the, now the first female referee, not just a lines, lines woman, mm-hmm. uh, as it is. Um, so, yeah, I just think at some point, and, and if she can win this, Serena Weigman can win this tournament, you know, she's Dutch as well. What more can she do in the women's game to then... Qualify Yeah, qualify I mean, That sounds I know. so terrible. It's the same game. It? It's the same. Yeah, see, with just... the women's game, the way I see it, though, is yes, it's the same game, 
but it's so vastly different in terms of of the physicality of it. Yeah. And that's where I think people, you know, most people understand they're the differences between the men and women's game. Like the physicality, you know, it's in its infancy as a professional sport, isn't it? So it's it's understandable that as a professional sport, it needs it's gonna take, I think it's gonna take 20 years before we start to get like it's gonna improve year on year on season and like you're going to look back in 20 years time at the players that we had now and be like oh such and such a body you know say there's a girl called Casey Smith oh she would be absolutely running rings around you know your yeah. your your Lauren James's you know in comparison to this Casey Smith Lauren James was 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 rubbish yeah. whereas at the the moment Lauren James is like one of the best best players I'd say the best players in the world Sam Kerr obviously one of the best players in the world and um it's mad that like obviously we look back on like like your George Best and we compare them to like your Ronaldo and your Messi and they're completely different. Your Pele's yeah. and your Maradonas compared to your Ronaldos and your Messi's. Are, yeah. It's different. It is a different totally game. Different. It's a vastly different game from when it was. Yeah. And uh, I just I, I I really enjoy the women's game because you know I've got a daughter as I, as I've mentioned and I'd love to take her to United and I think next season when you know with all the the hype that we've had for the women's World Cup and and how much it's becoming much more mainstream and and fans are really getting behind it. The atmosphere's there. I really want to take my daughter to go and see United ladies. And I'd, ra I'd genuinely rather take her to go and see the ladies than the men's team just because I think it's a lot more accessible. I just think it's a lot, the, the cultural side of it's so much more different. And, and again, I'm talking as a, as a parent of a young kid here, I want to sort of protect my daughter. I don't want her to be seeing the real world. <laughs> you know, it's like a, I'd like her to be able to... Uh, to experience football at a top level, but without the uh, the um, you know the swearing and the, the the chanting and everything else that goes with it. But uh, I do think I think women's games are at Old Trafford next season. All of them? Um, no, no, I think some of them will be. Um, obviously, this, it's very season, yeah, yeah, which should be. It gives it opens the doors to a lot more people to be able to go to games like that because the Old Trafford atmosphere is fantastic. It's one of the best things about the stadium, isn't it? So. It should be really good for the women's game, yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think it's important for the, that the women's team do play at Old Trafford, but obviously not as regular simply because the pitch needs to be maintained for for the Premier League games and everything. But I do think when when they have, when there is an opportunity, they should always take. It. I think during the international break, you, you saw the women play. I think it was West Ham that they played at Old Trafford most recently, and and it was a massive crowd. And it's it's really pleasing to see that fans are getting behind both the men and women's team, and it isn't. You know, it is being marketed correctly, and the players that are coming. I mean, I'm disappointed that we lost Alessia Russo. She was outstanding, but I believe that there's there's politics behind that more than more than anything else. And and obviously, you know, Arsenal offered a world world record transfer fee for a female player in I think it was January six months yeah six months ago that was then rejected, and then she rejected a contract offer or yeah, but but I guess in the grand scheme of things, the, the what she offered the team in that six months was probably more valuable than. Than, than the money that Arsenal offer and you know they'll generate the income but either way very similar to how the Harry Kane situation seems to be playing out yeah. at Spurs but with Alessia she's a Childhood United fan yeah. so it, you don't like to see Childhood United fans having to leave the club you know because they don't want to pay her a salary that she wants or for whatever internal politics are going on but uh, anyway Sam moving moving on to the Premier League of course we've uh, we're very close now it's it's Monday I think United finally it's back yeah, it Monday feels night. Like it never went away. I know. Well, it yeah, like, it feels last week. It's been very, it's been very non-stop for us. It's yeah. not for the listeners at home who've missed out on all this Premier League action, competitive football. Can't wait. I just you're I, a lot more I, enthusiastic I, than me. I know. I love the Premier League. Obviously, the Championship returned last weekend. The 
Community Shield. How did Sunderland do? Lost. Don't want to talk about it. <laughs> That's why he's excited for the Premier League. Forget forget the blues from the Black Cats. Let's get Man United back in. So United are playing Wolves then, Sam, and there's some new Premier League rules come out. And uh, before we get into what Rafa Varane said in his statement, Sam, what are these new rules and how, you've seen it over the weekend of the Championship, how are these new rules in, in football affecting the game? What are the new rules and, and should we should we really care? Well, the new rules are to try and cut down on time-wasting sort of and emotions shown by players on the pitch. So the time-wasting is a real big issue at the minute. I mean, it really does. There is a lot of time-wasting, especially in the Prem, and it really does get on the nerves of fans. I mean, there was times last season where we were seeing the ga- the ball in, actually in play for less than an hour of a game, and it was, and we'd see four minutes added on at the end. It doesn't really make any sense. The added time's just there because there has to be added time on. Now that added time will be added on to make sure that the ball is being in play for 90 minutes, which there are complaints about. There are lots of critics and there are lots of support for this sort of rule change because people are paying the same amount of money, no matter whether they're getting an hour of football or 90 minutes of football. And that half, extra half an hour of football could change a team's fortunes completely. Obviously, Rafa Varane's not a massive fan. I can't imagine many players are massive fans. They play so much football. There's so much demanded of them, especially from like UEFA now with the expansion of the Champions League, from, you know, there's still two domestic cup competitions in England, which lots of major countries around the world don't have anymore. I think in England especially, there is a lot of games that players at the very top level will play especially with that sort of hope, like City last year. I mean, Man United last year played something like 60 games, which even for me, I what's that, two week, two games a week for 30 weeks straight? It's like, it, it does end up getting on top of you. And that makes sense from a, a, Man, a player's perspective. But from a fan's perspective, I'd love to hear what you think, Man United fans at home, but I, would, I do think fans probably deserve the 90 minutes they have paid for. I I don't know what your thoughts are on it from a fan's perspective who might make it to a couple more games than I will next year. But Yeah, I mean, the, the way I look at it is if you imagine you are going playing football with your mates and you pay the, the venue 60 quid and you get an hour. Well, if you spend the first 10 minutes and they're, you know, messing around doing, oh, I'm just going to move the nets for you. I'm just going to clean up. And you're there going, hang on a minute, mate. You're eating into the the, the 60 minutes that I've paid for. So I'm now only going to get 57 minutes or 56 minutes, you know, and I'm paying for an hour. So from a fan's perspective, I guess in a way it's like, well, you're guaranteed to get 90 minutes minimum of ball in play action, which is what you as a customer, essentially what, what fans are these days, are paying for. Whereas as a fan, I guess a fan goes to the game to enjoy the beauty of it, the sport of it, the the quality of it. And sometimes it, it can't actually be helped if the ball isn't in play. If, if the team are having a bad game while they're playing the long ball game and the ball is played long and it goes out of play or the pitch is wet and it skids out or, or you know, there's fouls because it's a tense game or whatever. Like, Are we then going to start seeing games essentially like in rugby where the clock is stopped because the ball's going to out of play and all this lot? I mean, yeah, that's how referees are trying to do it now. They're trying to stop the clock every time the ball goes out for a throw in a corner so that people can't stand at the corner and put their both, both their hands up and 
waste time making up routines or trying to work to a routine that the rest of the team's not really on board with yet. I do think in the grand scheme of things, it's probably needed. I don't think it's implemented right or has been implemented right just yet. Over the championship this weekend, we saw it wasn't really implemented properly. Lots of managers in their post-match press conferences had complaints about how it was implemented and how it was being used. Because in in the Sunderland game, for example, there was 13 minutes of added time, which sounds like a lot. But Tony Mowbray went into his press conference afterwards and said, I think there should have been more. And he's probably right. Ipswich were wasting a lot of time because Sunderland were on the top, on the front foot for the last half an hour. So Ipswich were wasting a lot of time as it went along. They didn't end up getting, like now you're getting yellow cards as well for goalkeepers who are taking too long with the goal kicks, which is a bit harsh, I think. It's it's sort of, it's it seems to be a no leniency sort of way. You can you, There is no need for it to be a yellow card. It can just be a stop your watch. And like, like I imagine you played Sunday League as a child, how the referee used to stand there in the middle of the centre circle with his hand on his watch like that, tapping it, and he'd, he'd be like, come on, play, you're here to play football. So I, I, there is ways to get around it. I don't think it's imp- been implemented correctly just yet, but I don't think VAR was implemented correctly when it first came in, and now we wouldn't really have the same game without it. I think as we get more used to VAR, they start using it a bit better, I mean, back on the Women's World Cup, they've been announcing their decisions to the whole stadium through like a headset and that's worked pretty well. It still takes too long, VAR. There's still problems there with it, but it is getting better and I think this time-wasting rule will only get better as we see it, as we become more accustomed to it this year in the Premier League especially. Yeah, I'm going to pick you up on the implementation. I think that is the the key word there, the implementation of, of this new rule and I think... We've got, they've gone for a zero tolerance approach, haven't they? And and in a way, I understand it. It's frustrating, but I understand it because you saw in the Community Shield, if a player kicks the ball away, they get a bucket. Or you've seen it in the Championship this last week, players kick a ball away, they get a bucket. Now, my interpretation of it is if a player has kicked the ball away to give themselves that couple more seconds to get back in position and they've not booted it away, they've just sort of knocked it six, seven yards away, you go, oh, yeah, fair enough, you know. A bit annoying, but I get it. But when they boot it away or they deliberately kick it away or they, they pretend to trip over the ball and the ball pings off, you go, look, mate, come on, you're time wasting. And the referee speaking to the player is is wasting more time. And I think that, that sort of happens more, you know, around the 80th minute when the team's winning 1-0 or the other team's in the ascendancy. And it, it, it's game management. That's what it is. It's game management. And it's almost like this new rule is designed to remove game management from the game. And it's like, there's obviously two sides to this story. There's two sides of it as we want to make the game as pure as we can, but but then the, it's reality. This is not an artificial intelligence. This is not football manager. This is not FIFA. You know, this this is this is actual real life game and, and there's emotions at stake. And as you said, that players have been told to take emotions out of the game, but football without the emotion and without the, the game management system, it, it's not the same. Now, I, and I get it from the perspective of, of the um, the losing team, because if the winning team is wasting time to 
run the clock down to end the game, they're obviously going to be like, hang on a minute, ref, are you stopping your watch? Are you stopping your watch? And that's where it's on the referee to manage the game from his perspective or her perspective to make sure that they are stopping the watch and going, right, well, if you're going to time waste, that's fine. Do whatever you want. I'm going to add it on at the end. Whereas now players are getting bookings for doing it. And I think, yeah, to an extent, you should get a booking if you're, time with, if you're persistently time wasting. And if you're doing it, it's so obvious, you know. And I think that players and managers and, and officials, they're, they're going to have to come up with different ways to yeah. to manipulate that. And I think that's just the evolution of the game as it is, you know. And, and you know, the back pass rule was... was, was chalked off and that was you know that was a massive deal oh and you know to create the fluidity of football rather than you killing the time by there was a, there was outrage about that but look look where we are now I, I wouldn't want to see the pass back rule come back and I think that this I think like you say the implementation here is the key but in a way it, it, it either has to be they change the rule or they don't because if they don't and they just they say we're going to tie it up it's open to interpretation then yeah. it's open to interpreting well, did the player kick the ball far enough away to vault to justify yellow card? What you know? What is the distance they have to kick it away? You know, what is the what is the situation that they have to kick the ball away or to, for the you know to, to just how much time do they have to waste to warrant getting a yellow card? Whereas now it is just if you time waste in any capacity, booking, stop doing it, and. Players and managers, like say coaches and, and tacticians, are going to have to come up with different ways of game management with this new rule. So that's why I understand there's outrage. I also understand there's outrage from players because, look, you know, at the top level, like like you said, players are playing and expected to play sixty plus games a season. If you are even higher up the food chain and you've won the competitions, like City, where they're going to go and play in the Club World Cup, you know, you've got. You've got potentially what sixty-five games to play there. Not only that, though, City only have a squad of twenty-five. Like, if they're playing the Club World Cup in the middle of the season, they're going to be travelling half their squad to wherever, playing half the squad in the Club World Cup against the Asian Cup champions, and then on the Sunday they're going to have a game in the Premier League. So they're not going to be able to give. They can't physically give their all in both games, and with a travelling in the middle, it's going to be. It is going to be too much, but. It's, it's is that an issue of squad building? You know, Man United have got a squad of thirty five at current. It, so is it an issue of squad building? Though? But but what that also means is clubs are then needing to spend more money to have bigger squads, which means more money is going to be needed, which means more money is going to need generate, which means financial fair play. And before you know it, the smaller teams are going to get further and further away because they aren't going to get the chance to compete for these big trophies because the bigger the bigger teams in, in inverted commas are, a, are having to be given the, the credence to expand their squad which means they've got a better rotation of players which means they're fitter for longer so it, it, it just spirals and spirals and spirals from there so you know in, from a player's perspective, I get it. And playing 60 games a season, people go, well, 60 games a season, what was that one game a week of 60, you know, over a year or so two games a week? It's not really that much, is it? But it's not, it's the travelling as well. So if you've got two away games, one in Europe, say you're in the Europa Conference League, and then you're playing in, you know, the back end of Europe somewhere where it's, you know, you can't just get a, a flight in there and then a coach, it's like a three hour coach drive to the stadium or to the hotel or whatever. And then you've got to do that in return. And then you've got to go down, you know, if you're in Manchester, you've got to go down to London for an away game. It's the fatigue of, of the mental fatigue as well. And the fact that the players will be sat still for so long and then they would be expected to perform at the highest level. And they're still people. They still need their downtime. You're not going to perform at your highest level with no downtime. 
if you're away traveling for six days out of every week, you get your whatever, your Wednesday off or your day after the game off or whatever, you end up, you're going to be so fatigued. You're going to end up having this resentment almost for how many games you're playing, which is sort of what it came across as in Brand's statement. Yeah, and the wear and tear of players, like this is something that is talked about so much now, is if you buy a player that's 30 years of age, you're buying a player with wear and tear. And it's like, it's 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 sort of insane to think like that, that you're buying a player who's 30, you've got another five years of them, but how much wear and tear has their body got? Because we know how intense football is nowadays and, you know, how footballs have to be the complete athlete and they have to be so disciplined, they have to eat the right food and, you know, the, their knees have to be checked and this and the other. And I know that's always been the case, but but it's always been the case with less games. Now, on the flip side to that, football has never been as professional as it is now. So, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, the pitches were made out of pure mud and it was dangerous and the the, the football boot wasn't as refined and as it is now. And, you know, they didn't have all the data they could collect. So you're optimising a, a player's performance. You couldn't do it then. You know, you wouldn't be able to play 60 games then. But it's it doesn't legislate from the, the, the traveling side of it you know if, if you could teleport to somewhere it, it would resolve a lot of the issues because it's the fatigue of traveling is is one thing and especially again when you're successful and you're in all the cl- all the cup competitions you're battling all four fronts you want to win these trophies but you're sort of sacrificing like you say downtime with the family and and the mental mental health side of it as well um but then obviously the, the pro side of it is that, as like I say, as a supporter and as a and as a player, you're going to be participating in a lot more action on the pitch and keeping the ball in play and making sure that passing patterns are right and everything. And you know, if the ball goes out of play, you know, players like to take a breather and when the come, ball's out. Of play. Come the end of the season, it'll probably benefit the lesser teams, the teams down at the bottom of the table who have been knocked out of the competitions already. Teams like Man United who want to go far in every competition might still come the end of the season be challenging for the title or there and thereabouts chances are Man United are going to be challenging for a position chances are there's a team in 13th who isn't going to be challenging but has been knocked out of the competitions that, and they can go out and play a full squad they can play a whatever a strong full strength team Man United can't do that because they've been travelling they've been playing they've been They'll still be going that deep in all the competitions. It's and United will still be playing the same way they've played every season because you can't just implement this this change like with a click of a finger. You just can't do that. It's going to be something that's going to take time. So you're going to start seeing, like we did in the World Cup and obviously the Women's World Cup as well, and, and more recently in, in the Charity Shield was a perfect example of it. You're going to see games where you're getting 15, 16, 17 minutes of added time. City game against Arsenal eight minutes of added time Arsenal scored in the 11th minute of added time and it's like at what point does someone need to put a cap on it and just say look like you can do you can do up to 10 minutes of added time unless special dispensation if there's been a massive injury or something or what point does it just become an 100 minute game yeah because there was talk recently about actually football being reduced to a 60 minute game two 30 minute halves because the ball wasn't in play that much so it's like well, well the ball's only in play for 60 minutes let's reduce the game to 60 minutes and it's like you know the statisticians and calculations and scientists and everything all, all in the background, it's like, why don't you listen to what the actual people who play the game want? Because they're the ones who are playing the game. They're the ones who's, you know, who are studying it day in, day out. Like, why is it people in suits and, and analysts and everything that are making these decisions? People who either never played the game or haven't played at a high level. 
the people that are playing it at a high level, surely their opinion matters. And that's what Rafael Varane's statement was. To caveat Rafael Varane's statement, though, it only seems to be people at the top of the game, the top of the game, the top of the pyramid that are complaining. Because as you just said, it's people that will be playing more games that are going to be negatively affected by being tired. Whereas the teams further down the pyramid or further down the table, as you alluded to, might be like, well, um, actually, we don't mind that because when we play against say, Manchester United, they deliberately, you know, they'll be cynical fouls or they'll do this and they'll, they'll manage the game so that because they're tired, so they don't concede. But that's the whole point of tactics. That That is the beauty of football. Yeah. And it's almost like, well, that, that, that tactic and that game management element has just been stripped away from you. So now... You're sort of going out there. You are tired. You're going to have to play 90 minutes and you're going to get beat 4-0 because of it. Tough, you know, tough, tough. But we might see a change in tactics. You know, when Denmark won the Euros, like you said earlier, in 1992, they won it because of the backpass rule and they exploited the backpass rule as a way of getting the best out of their attacking players, getting a goal ahead. And then Peter Schmeichel, yeah, Peter Schmeichel was in net and he could just nod it back, pass it back to Peter Schmeichel every single time. And it would it was their way of managing the game, recycling possession. I think we're just going to see an evolution of tactics that keeps the ball in play a lot more and still wastes a lot of time. You know, we're going to see a lot more people in the corners. You know, how late on in in sort of added time we always see someone sprint with the ball to the corner. They're not even going towards the net anymore. I think we're going to see a lot more of that. But I'm no tactical genius. No, but, but that's, I think the, that's there the negative will be, side of this, yeah. this implementation, isn't there's, it? There's always going to be time-wasting. So you then introducing rules to try and stop it, which is just going to make people create a new way of time-wasting, really. Yeah, and and as a fan, would what would I rather... Would I rather do I want to see players, you know, cuddling the ball in the corner? Because they're not doing anything wrong. They can't get booked for it. So, yeah, you, say, you might start seeing the negative side of it where, well, a, you know, teams are just going to get the ball. The attacking team's tired. The defending team's tired. So they're just going to start passing the ball around the back line like like you do when the fans are going, way, way, way. You know, and especially when it's two teams that might be competing in the Champions League who might go, well, actually, we need to stay fresh for this. And, it, it, you know, even more so, like just to, to, to go off on a bit of a more of a tangent, when a, when a manager puts out a like completely different 11 from what their in inverted commas starting 11 should be they're then getting punished for that oh you're you're jeopardizing the the fabric of the game or, or you know you're making it like yeah. you know that you're going to lose and it's like so no I'm just utilizing my squad my players are tired I've got 60 game season I'm utilizing all the players in my squad and now you're finding me for that as well it's like they just can't win there is just no like it's almost like you negative you know it's suggesting that the managers are manipulating um, like the the result or anything for for betting purposes or whatever, and you know, suggesting that side of it. And it's like sometimes it's just no. The players need a rest, but we've got three games this week. We you know we've got a game on a Sunday, we've got a midweek cup or league, uh, Champions League game, and then a game again on Saturday. It's like I need to rotate this. But if I change my whole squad, you're going to penalise me. I mean, it's like, but to bring it back to Man United, that's where squad depth is going to be so important. You know, Ten Hag's really focused on getting players who improve his starting eleven, but players that sort of on last season, would you have said Eriksson was in dire need of a replacement in Mason Mount? Probably not. But he's now got Mason Mount as his, in quotes, starting central midfielder. He's got Eriksson waiting in the wings, ready to fill that role. That squad depth might be one of the most important parts of this season because last season there was no real backup DM at Man United Casemiro if Casemiro wasn't there the team looked so much weaker 
and now Ericsson Hogg's obviously been linked with Amrabat. He's been experimenting with Kobe Mainu in pre-season. I think we'll probably see Mainu fill in a lot of the cup competitions and probably come on late in games to see out games as a more defensive midfield option coming on for sort of your Mason Mounts, your Antonies, and then Bruno Fernandes pushing up a bit further and Mainu dropping de- deep into sort of a double pivot with Casemiro rather than Casemiro doing all of it on his own. I do think the squad depth is really going to be massive for get to the top teams trying to manage these games because teams like picking a name out of hat, Crystal Palace or Nottingham Forest, you're going to be, they're going to be not really challenging on, well, they're not challenging on forefront. They might want to challenge on three. Uh, the likelihood is them they'll possibly challenge on two. You're going to be sat there Man United are turning up with more injuries, more fatigue in their players' legs. They've been to Europe in the middle of the week. They've then gone down to London for to play Palace, let's say. Palace are coming, having played eight days ago, Saturday to, Saturday to Sunday, Palace are playing and then they're, it's it's all straightforward for them. It's I do think the squad depth is going to be the massive deciding factor here and obviously Man City have one of the deepest squads in the world. I think every single one of their players is real top quality. So then you're looking at your next tier down, which is probably your Arsenal's, your Man United's, your Liverpool's. Liverpool have really got not much squad depth after they've sold a lot of their players this summer. Um, Arsenal have really strengthened. Man United have really strengthened. You know, it's, it is really going to take its toll going through the season, yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, squad management and squad depth is obviously something that, you know, Christian Eriksen came in, he's what, he's 31 now, so Mounts there is his long-term successor anyway, isn't he? But I understand what you're saying, like United bring in a younger midfielder to replace a midfielder that, you know, in three, you'll get four or five years of them two playing together and by the time that Eriksen moves on, Mounts in the prime years of his, his career and then at that point you then start bringing in a player to be his long-term replacement and so on and so forth but yeah the landscape of the game could be completely different again by the time Mount gets to 31 you know the way the way that things are going and these players are having to learn and evolve and, and I get it look the evolution of the game is evolution of the game it needs to evolve it can't just stagnate and you know you see you see how football is in the other in the other parts of the world it's the same game but the way that it's a franchise system and the way that you can't just go out and sign the best players you've got to you've got to manage it with a wage budget and get so so I get it it's different and it, it it's it's welcome you know a lot of people we don't like change and I don't want to sound like one of these morbid people who's like no no change I don't want change yeah. I, I'm all for change but I'm all for the right change and I think that VAR was was a big example of when change is bad because they brought VAR in and it was it was not ready but then in 2018 I think it was World Cup it was fantastic it was outrageously good but then we think why can't it be like that in the Premier League and then there's that Australian referee where you could hear him talking right you yep okay blah 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 blah. they literally and that was great because I know I can hear obviously not a fan in the stadium probably can't but you know people who are watching on TV or watch it retrospectively you can hear why the referee is making that decision so you can understand it and and you can go yeah fair enough I understand why it's taking this long blah 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 anyway Sam I want to move on because um we've we've 30 odd minutes into the pod now and we've 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 done a lot of talking about non-Man United specific yeah. content. The reason why we're talking about that is because Rafael has released a statement on it, uh, sort of going against 
essentially saying essentially what we're talking about why the players not being heard they've had a meeting yet they've still implemented the rule if you want to read the full statement you can do on his twitter but sam also did a video yesterday where he read the statement out in full and gave a bit of an opinion on it that is available to watch now on the manchester united men twitter channel i think we've also put it on youtube as well so go and check that out if you want to sort of hear the statement read out in full and hear more of an opinion from sam on that that went out on um i don't think it was yesterday i think it was monday it went out yeah so anyway, Sam, yesterday United released their third shirt. Roy Keane was uh, was brought in on Monday to uh, to reveal it and he teased it. And a lot of fans were going crazy thinking that Roy Keane was joining United's coaching staff or was Roy Keane coming back. I even tweeted saying, you know, what if Roy Keane turns up in a green and gold Golden. shirt like the first shirt he wore in 1993? You know, and and sort of made a made a comment about the Glazers doubling, doubling back on... Uh, the the green and gold scarf that United fans wave and say, well, actually, no, look, they're, they're waving the, the colours of the third shirt, you know, nullifying the sort of protest. Then. But no, United, they've released a shirt. It's a white shirt with like a like a design emblazoned into it. It's got the team viewer in red. It's got the badge in red, the, the Adidas logo in red. I think it's absolutely gorgeous. And I do think, hot take, Sam, I think they're the three best shirts we've had in a long, long time. Maybe since the first Adidas deal we had uh, in 2015. In modern times, I'm not talking about in the 90s. I, mu I must agree, I do like this new one. I think it's very clean, it's very smart. It is it is nice. It's sort of creamy, sort of burgundy, darker red than sort of Man United It's a very used rich to. red, isn't yeah. it? It's a very rich colour. It's yeah. not just your, your DAC291. DA291C, sorry, which is the hex code for United on uh, yeah. soccer soccer team team colour codes or whatever that we use when we make Photoshop graphics. It's like a it's like a really rich sort of red. It's a sort of yeah. colour and sort of shirt that you would wear outside of football. And that's yeah. what I think a lot of football teams are trying to do now. They're trying to get a shirt where... Fans can wear them in the street without it being like, oh, he's wearing a replica football shirt. It's like, actually, that's a classy, nice looking T-shirt. It's well, and it'll be, it'll make some lovely um, training gear as well. Last year, the training gear was inspired by, well, it was match, it matched the, the green third shirt and the away shirt. So I think we'll probably see a lot of training gear. So if you see any United video, videos of United training from us or from, anyone else from the mirror or whatever. Um, there probably will be a lot of cream training gear more than red. It doesn't really date it that badly because then you can sort of, you know where the players are, you know, what when it was filmed, all of that sort of stuff. So, I, I, but it is a lovely shirt. It's nice, clean. You can't really see the Adidas stripes. They've gone cream Adidas stripes on the cream sleeves, which is... Bold design choice from Adidas. They're usually very bright with their 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 contrast in the in the stripes. So maybe they're just so confident that people now know Man United are sponsored by Adidas. Maybe that's why. And maybe this is a celebration of that new kit deal that's been announced. You know, it's very much Adidas are with Man United. They're two brands that are going to work together. For the foreseeable, yeah. When you say that about the badges, I'm just looking at it now. That it's got the it's got the three. It's got the, the, the yeah on the front on the on the sleeves. It's not. Oh, is it on the sleeves? Yeah. As well? Ah, okay, very nice. Oh, it's it's subtle. I quite like that. I quite like the idea of it being subtle. But uh, is that is it is it the best shirt? Is it the best shirt we've had in uh, since? I since don't when? I don't like the green white striped one. 
I'm afraid to say this oh, year. I love it. Dear, I'm it's not a fan. on me. Do you know what? When I saw the backlash to the um, the print on the front of it, I totally agree, by the way. Yeah. It, that That's really, like, they've made, it's like, it's, it looks a bit like a Fred Perry polo shirt, yeah. and I, I really like it, but I think they've let themselves down. It's almost like when Primark do, like, a rip-off Fred Perry shirt, and you can just tell the difference, like, between the authentic one and then the the non-authentic or the, 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 the generic replica yeah. one. And I think that they've really let themselves down. It actually reminds me, I think it was 2005 when United had the white away shirt with like the thin stripes, the red and the, the brown and whatever colours they were. And it had, um, was it AIG? I think it might have been in red. But that was a sticker as well. And it's the same, it, it's almost like they followed the same the same design. And I, I, I had that shirt when I was a, when I was a kid. And once it's once it gets nicked, as in nipped, as in like a little hole, the whole thing just peeled yeah, off. Yeah, you can't put it back in the washing machine. That's it. Then... You see anybody walking around with that shirt. I think, I think it's 2005, correct me if I'm wrong, but that, that sort of hooped, thin hoop design shirt, nobody's got the, the, the sponsor logo on it anymore. It's completely gone because everybody's just ripped off and I think mine did the same. You know, I wore it as a kid. I wore it every day. Like it was my, it was a football shirt. You know, I lived in football shirts as a lot of fans did and still do. Um, but I, 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 that's what let it down from the replica side of it. So as a designer, I like the shirt, but as a product for me to buy, it's really, it was really disappointing. I've seen it. I've seen it. I went in the mega store on Saturday when, when we were in uh, Old Trafford to have a look at it. And the authentic one is gorgeous. Like it is, it's almost like they've deliberately, yeah, that's the one. Oh, it was Vodafone. 2003 yeah. to 2005. Yeah, Vodafone, not AIG. So yeah, I was picturing it. I was like, it don't feel right being AIG. Yeah. So if, if you want to, if you want to Google the shirt that I'm talking about, it's the 2003 to 2005 away shirt yeah. with the Vodafone, but that was like a sticker as well. And it, it just peeled off. Yeah. It looks like a sticker. It was awful, but I don't think you could buy authentic shirts. I don't know if that was a thing. I think it's more of a. Is it it's more a, of a modern it's very, thing? Well, it's always been around since I was alive. That came out when I was four. Well, three or four. So I no the, the authentic. Yeah, but every every shirt I've ever bought's always been sort of from the club shops of the world. No, I don't mean that. What I do mean, you mean the authentic shirt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, you buy. That's a replica. That's yeah. the official yeah. club replica. Mm -hmm. But you can also buy an authentic, which is the player oh, issue I, shirt. I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you have the replica of the, the, the player issue, but yeah. you can actually buy the authentic player issue, which is when they release the shirt and they say, oh, it's, it's, it's built with breathable technology and all this nonsense. Well, that is only on the authentic shirt, not on the, the fan replica one. So now a lot of clubs are now starting to sell the in inverted commas again for the 15th time this pod, the match-worn type shirt. And the match-worn one, I'm going to call it the match-worn one now just to not confuse you. Uh, the match-worn green one that we were talking about is beautiful. Yeah. And my concern about that one, that white one, there's in the new white one, not the one from 2003. Are they going to do the same where they emblazon a sticker? or it is looks, that... It looks like a sticker. I mean, I've got really, a, I've got a very low res image of Casemiro in it here. Um, <laughs> no, the but, authentic one won't be. No, no, no. So one that they advertise won't be. No, but, but when it the fans go and buy it in yeah, the shop, it looks like it'd be the sort of sort this perfect sort of place for a sticker rather than a 
Yeah, because I think the home shirt, the home shirt is 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 is, is stickered. It's built into the shirt, though, isn't it? That's well, what you I mean. imagine that one will be the same. Then yeah. I don't imagine because I think that the reason that it's a sticker on the away one is because the the way the the, the design because is. of the stripes. Yeah, it, just, it it really didn't sit well with me, and I thought it was a really poor design. And considering how beautiful the shirt is, yeah. to sort of it, it feels like they've just not finished it off. And they've I, just gone, I don't eh. think the greens the right color. I think it's too dark. I don't think I've ever, I've ever seen United in like a, a like a royal green or racing green type shirt. Only well, there was the luminous black, green it? last year, and then yeah. that's it's probably it's probably either end of the spectrum. You can go from bright highlighter green to real dark that almost looks like black. Probably does look like black in like dark does, I thought it was in black. low light. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was black. I didn't realize that United when it was first announced. I thought it was yeah. black. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen United in a shirt that no. looks like that. I just it's usually red, blue, and. White. Edwin van der Sar's goalkeeper shirts were always green, green, weren't they? Yeah, green though. Yeah, Not like yeah. this royal no, sort of, no. you know, upper class, you know, like I say, Fred Perry type yeah. polo shirt coloured green. But uh, anyway, let's bring part one to an end there, Sam. It's been uh, nice to have a bit of a catch of what's been going on. Uh, we'll be back in part two where we are going to talk about some criticisms and some scepticisms over some of Manchester United's new signings. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Manchester is Red midweek pod with myself, Seb Parkinson, and flanked by the purple jumper wearing Sam Hutchison. We've just been talking about shirts and colours. Sam, that's a beautiful, beautiful jumper, and I, I hope you wear it every day. Anyway, to kick off part two, Sam, so I've seen online on, on, on some, some videos and, and social media, there's been some scepticism and some criticism of United's new signings. Now, the overlap came out on Tuesday, uh, fan debate overlap, where Gary Neville expressed some concerns. Just just run us through. What were his concerns and what are your thoughts on that? He says two of Man United's new signings make him nervous, which are Onana and Hoyland. It's understandable. His, it, you'd be nervous. Onana is that sort of goalkeeper. He's so confident. It, it, he oozes confidence on the pitch, which De Gea didn't really. I don't think De Gea oozed confidence. Onana really does. And He's so comfortable with the ball at his feet. He's so comfortable just like Cruyff turning strikers on the edge of his own box. It's mental. Pre-season, he was out of his box nodding headers down to right-backs. It was like, this is something that we've never really seen at United before. And it's understandable that it would make Neville nervous, you know. Neville In Neville's days, the goalkeeper stood on his line. If he went outside the six-yard box, it was strange. And Neville was a very back-four right back where the right back roles changed a lot in the re- in the last 5 years however so where Neville was playing there wasn't that need for that sweeper keeper like Onana is and it would make you nervous as a footballer I'm sure it would seeing your goalkeeper you look back to where your goalkeeper is in case you need to pass to them and the ball's coming to you you look back and you're like oh god where's my goalkeeper gone and it turns out he's alongside your center half stood in the center circle you w- it would make you nervous. If you get that pass wrong, then that's a, a chance for the opposition, isn't it? Hoyland making him nervous doesn't really make as much sense. I think the only real reason you'd be nervous about Hoyland is if you're doubting his actual ability. And I don't think you can doubt his ability. He's 20 years old. He's Scoring any goals in a top five league in Europe at 20 is pretty impressive. 
I mean, at 20, I was probably in a nightclub somewhere in Manchester. I don't know where you were at 20, Seb, but probably a very similar nightclub in Manchester. At 20 years of age, I used to work at the Lloyd's number one in the print works. My nights out were going to work and drinking Monster and Peanuts behind the bar until four o'clock in the morning. Did you flick across fringe as well? Yeah, I used to actually have a a, a, a yellow streak going through my hair. Of course you did. Because it was cool at the time and everyone used to call me the skunk. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> so Seb the skunk is now your name. That's going to be your name next, next week. Um, but yeah, I, I think Hoyland... Nerves wise, he can't you can't be that nervous really. I think he will do a decent job. Even if this season he doesn't hit the ground running, it looks like he's not gonna hit the ground running because he is currently injured, which really puts a spanner in the works. But Gary Neville's nervous about because he, he wants Man United to be back at the top level. And is Hoyland a guarantee of that title challenge? You know, if Kane came in, you'd probably say minimum expectation is title challenge deep in all all four competitions. Now that Hoyland's come in, is that the expectation? I mean, in our Vox Pops that we did before the Lons game on Saturday, we were asking what would be a successful season for Hoyland in particular. Lots of people, 15 goals, a couple of 25s here and there. But, I mean, I'd love to hear what you think, Man United fans at home, what a successful season would be for Hoyland. Because... I think a successful season is really anything above double figures in the Prem. He's not a goal scorer, out and out goal scorer like Haaland is. He's not going to hit 35 goals in his first season in England. But, I mean, he might do. It's not out of the realms of possibility, but the likelihood is he won't do that. So, but he might bring in other players. We might see a, a really, another bumper season from Rashford. We'll see, hopefully, a bumper season from Anthony. He should... He really needs to step it up this season. Sancho was okay at pre-season. We might see a couple more goals from him, a couple more getting getting sort of piled in. We might see sort of Bruno Fernandes, Mason Mount, make some real nice runs past Hoyland, which should bring him in a bit better. And I mean, there's, there's a reasons that nerves would be understandable, but I think the nerves are only... How good can these signings be more than, oh God, these signings aren't good enough? Yeah, and and I agree in the sense of, like, I think Tyrone made a really good, quite funny point, and it was referenced on Monday. He also said it in his post-match view against uh, against Arsenal's. Uh, oh, that was very French. That was very French. Very French. You've um, been taking lessons. <laughs> I have, yeah, yeah. Uve la venetre was the first French I ever learned, which was open the window. I never did French at school. Year two I was in when I learned that, believe it or not. I was, what, seven years of age? Wow. And I've remembered that. You've remembered it. It's a very useful phrase as well, I'm yeah. sure. Um, but I was saying that, like, United, so the, the what was it, 50, 55 million pound midfielder missed an open net, the 45 million pound goalkeeper got lobbed, and the 62, 68 million pound striker is injured. injured yeah. yeah, and uh, and it's true. And, and you know, you, you look at that and you just, you've got to laugh, haven't you? You've got to laugh or you'll cry because... Um, Hoyland signing for United is coming in to replace Anthony Martial and he literally joins us injured and it's just like oh no not this again please we can't have this for another six seven eight years of this like I really hope that it is a bit of a just a niggle and I really hope that it's not a sign of things to come and they they, they were also saying on Monday about um 
about United have said they've been tracking him since he was at Copenhagen and they're just sort of laughing at the fact that yeah so they, they but they've only made, only made the move when he's a 90 million pound player yeah exactly that not not been tracking him since he's got a hat-trick against Denmark a hat-trick for Denmark sorry in March which is uh which is funny, but um, the, the other criticisms I've seen of some United players, uh, obviously United are always in the news, Sam, is on another one on Onana, but this from Ben Foster on these Foscast podcast. Uh, what's he had to say? He said it was unacceptable that he was shouting at Harry Maguire. I mean, against Borussia Dortmund, Onana was very animated with Harry Maguire at that point in the game where it was just sort of... Harry Maguire made a, a slight mistake and Onana was probably over the top r- enraged by him and it is it's a strange one really because as as a fan I'd like to see that from a goalkeeper because I was brought up as a sort of the goalkeeper should be the marshal of the defence if the the goalkeeper can see the whole pitch I mean Onana usually can't see about 40 yards behind him to his own net but the whole idea is the goalkeeper can see the whole pitch they don't need to look over their shoulders they can see the entire back four or back five, they can see all the positions. And if a goalkeeper has a bit of advice for you, you should probably listen to it. Obviously, these are top class footballers. They're not. They're a little bit better than me. But I I do think it's probably justified if a goalkeeper, he probably was over the top with it. And because it's Harry Maguire, it's going to make headlines. And because it's a brand new goalkeeper, you know, it was his first game in a United shirt. He's, it's, gonna, it's always going to make headlines. However, I... I think it's probably justified his shouting at Maguire. If if he thinks Maguire's made a mistake that's then made him stressed or worried about doing his job that shouldn't have happened in the first place, why would you not? That means I'm going to shout at you now because you You're stress already, me out. You already do. <laughs> you stress me out and make my job harder. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. Before we end part two and bring part two to a close, Sam, um, I'd also want to say I want to talk to you about something that that was trending on social media on Tuesday, and that is that Mason Greenwood has been seen training. Footage has been released. Don't no context to the footage. We don't know what was going on, but but that footage hasn't been released by accident. Let's be honest. That footage has been released very deliberately. Mason Greenwood has been seen training. We don't know whether it's for United, whether it's himself. We don't know at this stage. We're, 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 we're reporting on it blind, but uh, he's been seen. He's been seen, and United are expected to make a decision on his future come uh, the end of the um, come the first week. Sorry, of the, the first Premier week, League, which so. is on Monday. So we are expecting an announcement imminently. United have, have told journalists that to expect an announcement imminently about what's going to happen at the moment for anybody listening we know nothing we we have no inclination of what united are going to do but we have our own thoughts and opinions which we are going to hold back on until the announcement is made because uh just because you know united might make the announcement today as we release this podcast so we're going to wait until um next week or the week after as it'll be because i'm away next week on holiday uh, to to really discuss this in a bit more detail and, and the implications of it. But uh, yeah, for anybody wondering, Mason Greenwood is back training. For who? We don't know. Why? We don't know. I mean, obviously he needs to stay fit. Maybe, for all we know, Sam, he's been training the whole time he, he's he not will been have, He will have been training the whole why, time. He what will have what been... I want to know is why is footage now being released to it? That is the main thing. Yes. Some PR somewhere, it feels or, like there's some or, PR Or is play. it just he's in a field with a personal trainer and... Some some kid has walked past with his phone. 
I mean, now we've all got phones in our pockets. We could film anything. But in that the world. isn't anything new, Sam. That no. is not. You know, eighteen months no, ago, exactly. people had phones, and yeah. if he was training in the field. So I, I, I maybe maybe the conspiracy yeah. theorist in me is is reading between the lines too much here. I think that there's some sort of PR at play here. They want the conversation to start up and and go on, but obviously. I don't want to go any more into detail about that at the t- for the time being. We will wait until the club make a decision and uh, we'll be back after the break. Right, Sam, welcome back. We've got 10 minutes to get this wrapped up because I have got a doctor's appointment to get to and I need to, uh, to make like a tree and leave very, very soon. So, Sam, uh, my phone has died, unfortunately, so all the notes that I had for what we were going to talk about have completely escaped me. But you've just very handily handed me your laptop. So in part three, Sam, we're going to talk about transfers as always we know that the fans love talk transfer chat we all love transfer chat don't we yeah and there's been some developments since the Manchester Red Pod on Monday uh, Sam those developments are that West Ham have come back in for Scott McTominay on Monday's 60 second scoop you know we we sort of said that is that deal off because uh, West Ham have just made a big agreed, agreed a fee agreed a fee with uh, Ajax for Edson Alvarez which there's a real statement of intent. He's a proper out-and-out defensive midfielder. He's really Champions League quality. Obviously, West Ham are in the Europa League this year. European football, they've just lost Rice. They have got money burning the hole in their pocket. We touched on that last week. But they've come back in for McTominay, which it is a real statement of intent of they are going to use this Rice money. Obviously, there's loads of talk around West Ham at the minute. David Moyes and the new director of football, who I can't quite remember his name. His name escapes me, but... They're not quite seeing eye to eye. The new director of football is a big fan of European sort of talent. David Moyes really wants to sign from Britain, from England. And Edson Alvarez is obviously a director of football signing. He's one of those that lots of those at home who aren't that clued up won't have heard of. Me. Lots, yeah, exactly. Lots of West Ham fans probably won't have heard of. He is really fantastic. I do think he's really a top quality defensive midfielder. Probably, I'd say he's probably about 25, 26 now. And he is probably going to slot straight in in that Declan Rice role. That means where does Scott, where do they see Scott McTominay playing, which is the more important one for the Man United fans out there. That means Scott McTominay probably plays as that second midfielder in a double pivot. You know how they've been using Declan Rice and Thomas Suchek recently? in the last couple of seasons, I think Scott McTominay probably goes straight in for Thomas Suchek, which is probably an upgrade. Suchek wasn't that great last season. And Scott McTominay, when he does make those bursting runs on, we have seen him really put in some excellent performances in a United shirt. 30 million, not a bad money for a player who's not starting. And with a United side who need to bring in some sort of money, a bit of cash flow, maybe look towards bringing in Amrabat or any other signings this summer. 30 million's not to be turned your nose up at, but they have rejected it. And that means Man United think they can get a bit more than 30 million. I mean, are we looking at a 40 million pound midfielder sat on United's bench or going to West Ham? I agree. And I, I, and you know what? All power to Man United for rejecting it. West Ham are coming in for 30 million. If McTominay is worth 40 million, I want 40 million for him. Simple as that. And if United have to sell him for 30 million pounds with 10 million pounds worth of add-ons, 
sell him with £10 million worth of Adams. If West Ham don't want to pay it, sorry, lads, you don't get it. You go into the new season with Europa League and you see how difficult it is without all these players. Pay the money, get the player. Scott McTominay is a fantastic football player. He, but he's just not quite at the level for Manchester United yeah. consistently. And that is where the issue is. A lot of people think that when a player leaves Man United, they're just rubbish. But they're not. Unless they are. <laughs> but generally they're not. It's just because the, the, the demands of playing for Manchester United are so high that, you know, you could slot into another team and be be brilliant. You know, and Donny van der Beek's a player that Samuel was saying on Monday that his, his time at United's up. Real Sociedad are, are in for him. You know, he might go to Spain and be a revelation. I'm sure might he be will. Fantastic. He'll play that David Silva role. David Silva's just retired with a long-term injury. Just picked one up at the end of the season. Decided that's his retiring from Real Sociedad. Sociedad. He's left Sociedad a bit up a creek and they now need an attacking midfielder. It looks like Donny van der Beek's the man they've identified and if Man United can go in and get a decent fee for him, I don't know what a decent fee for Donny van der Beek could be at this stage, but that's good business again. Good business. United, what, £40 million for him we paid? Was it two, three years ago? Yeah. Four years ago, was it? It was under Solskjaer, so was it... Three, three I remember that I did a big statement about look after our Donny and all this lot and uh, he's come to us and he's been absolutely yeah. appalling not, really, looked hasn't at, not looked after basically. well I mean he's not looked it's after been, us has he no, to be honest been he's not been great most so. of the time and then and you know he went to Everton the thing is is our real Sociedad a step up from Everton uh, you know if Everton and Sociedad played each other ten times would Sociedad beat Everton ten times or whatever five five, five probably yeah so then he didn't do well at, at Everton yeah he got injured we get that he got injured but you know, the Spanish league is obviously less competitive than the English league overall, so there is that element to it. And, you know, you never know. Donny van der Beek might be good enough and he might prove himself I'm there. Sh- I'm sure he will. Get a move I'm to sure Barcelona in three years' time or something. And, you know, play out his peak years at Barcelona. But anyway, uh, less about him, more about Maguire. Maguire yes. to uh, West Ham. West Ham again. Bent. 30 million for Maguire or 20 million for Maguire. And they've come back in for him. So it's not just like United rejected the 20 million and said, oh, you know, off you pop. Uh, it was reported on Tuesday that... Um, United have rejected a deal for McTominay and Maguire, which means that West Ham, like you said there, are looking at spending that Declan Rice money. Maguire, as Samuel said on Monday, um, his agent should be looking at getting him out of United. He was booed in Dublin, which I completely think that's absolutely ridiculous, but he was booed in Dublin. He's obviously not happy. He's keeping face in, 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 the, in the media or whatever. And he's, you know, fair play to him. He got the assist for Plissu's goal on uh, on Sunday. Yeah, he picked so, himself up on Sunday, yeah, which was very impressive. Really yeah. good. Um, but, you know, if I was his agent, I would, now now's the time to make the move, I think. And if West Ham have got money burning all in their pocket, they're playing in Europa League. He played in the Europa League last season. He can be a starter at West Ham. He can rebuild himself and get himself into that England team for the, uh, for the Euros next year. So, you know... Do I disagree with him going to West Ham? No, I think it'd be a great move for him. I think him. it'd probably be a great move for him. That's probably the level that he needs to look at to get himself definitely in the England Euros squad. He'd go to West Ham and he'd probably start every game. So going to West Ham wouldn't be a bad career move for him. And I think, once again, I think getting rid of him to a club like West Ham for Man United would be good business, which we don't say much about United in recent years, have we? No, and that, that's it. And that's, that's what I wanted to get on to is that I had a conversation with Ty recently about, and I've referenced this conversation a few times, about the fact that United don't tend to get good transfers with players, yeah. but Ten Hag's come in, whether it's Ten Hag's doing or somebody else's, it seems that United are starting to turn and go in the right direction. They've just signed a £900 million deal with Adidas for a new 10-year deal. So that that's the shirt sponsorship sorted. Now they're starting to get money in for players as well. You've got the likes of Dean Anderson, who 
we believe he's going to go to Forest, but Forest had started looking at Casper Schmeichel, so that deal could be in jeopardy. Got um, no, they've got no money. Forest got basically. no money anymore. Forest, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think Luton were in for a couple of United players, I believe. Uh, they, they were after a couple of players, but whether that's a loan move or not, I'm not too sure there'll at this be a, stage. There'll be a lot of interest. That's the thing about lots of these United fringe players. You know, Fred, McTominay, Maguire, all of these players who aren't really starting. And, you know, United do have a bloated squad at 35. There's still people like Eric Bailly on the books. Yeah. What, like, there's got to be a fee. There's got to be sides out there that are paying these fees. And if United can get good fees for these play these sort of players, that is really impressive. I mean, we've seen City run like a tight ship recently, selling youth players for upwards for double figures of millions, and that's going to basically solve City's cash flow for years to come. You know, we're seeing. Do people they have like, a cash flow problem? No, but they they need you need. Because of financial fair play, FFP, you need yes. you need your cash flow to be there. You need at least to be able to show you've got a cash flow. So I do think if Man United can start being run like a business behind the scenes and start getting results on the pitch, that is a real good sign from John Murta and Eric Ten Hag. Yeah, and then we've got the story that Suzuki turned down United, the goalkeeper, not really bothered. We'll move on from that. Yeah. Amrabat, Tadebo. A shout out for Britsy Armano. Sam, what's that all about? Well, I shouted out on Saturday's podcast during that we filmed during the Lons game. Uh, Lons, good accent. Thank good, you. Good French. Uh, that John Claire Tadebo had been linked to Juve and had been linked to Liverpool and a couple of other big sides around Europe. Young centre half, right footed, probably if Maguire is sold. Probably this sort of option. Juve have since pulled out due to conditions Nice wanted in the deal. And Fabrizio Romano then broke the story that Man United were interested on, I think, Monday night. Might have been Sunday night that Man United were had asked Nice about the conditions that they wanted from Juventus. So if Fabrizio, if you are listening... I will not give you any more transfer rumours because I, I'm i just throwing so, names out there. Sources say yeah. that we had And what we don't know, what we didn't realise, the Fabrizio's source is actually It's actually Sam, Sam, Richardson, Sam Richardson on the Midweek Man United podcast. <laughs> that would be an incredible story. Uh, right, Sam, I want to I wanna wrap this up now. Quick pre-season chat. Yeah, United have had Let's be honest, not a great preseason. Now, personally, I think we've had a good preseason. Hit and miss. Because, yeah, I mean, very hit and miss. Yeah. And we're going to talk about hit and miss in a second with Mason Mount. Hit and very miss. Yeah. Um, 14 minutes in that Lons game, miss a, a sitter. Anyway, look, United have lost, I think it was four of six or four of seven games or something like that. Uh, Wrexham, Real Madrid, Dortmund. Is it three uh, wins, one draw. Four losses, eight like games, that. yeah. Something, something like, like that. I mean, yeah, some of them some of them games with the youth team players, so we don't really we're gonna gloss over that um pretty quickly. And in fact the youth team ones are the ones that won, don't they? Yeah, United beat Arsenal. Arsenal. Two week, Leeds and Leeds um, and Arsenal. No, we won in Edinburgh we won as well. So United, yeah, so the, the kids won then we lost against Wrexham, lost against Real Madrid, lost against Dortmund, drew, uh, beat Lons, yeah. and then and drew, then drew with, against but we felt like that was a loss, wasn't it? But until the equalising like the last kick of the game or whatever. Yeah. So it felt like a loss. Yeah, <laughs> Good from Palistri, though, which I guess is going to get onto the point you're about to make. Yeah, so what we're saying, does anybody really stand out for you on pre-season? Yeah, Palistri, Hannibal. I think Hannibal's really made a name for himself on this pre-season tour. And, you know, it's easy to get carried away with pre-season. Last year, we were all saying Zidane Iqbal looks like 
he might have a role to play and now he's gone to Utrecht for less than a million pounds which is didn't play at all last season didn't play at all last season I don't think he's even got a minute I think he got less minutes than Kobe Mainu which shows what Eric Ten Hag was thinking with Iqbal but I do think Hannibal signed for um, Monaco a couple of years ago for 10 million and I think now he looks like he's ready to make that step up because last season at Birmingham he was actually really good in the championship would you have him at Sunderland? Yeah, hundred percent. He was he's, he was talked about going to Dortmund, weren't he? And he was going to be the new Jude Bellingham. Well, not yeah. the new Jude Bellingham, but yeah. they they made Sancho into a player. They made Haaland into a player. They made Bellingham into a player. Like that, that's what I meant. The new project. Yeah, exactly. Project Hannibal. And, and I do think he's probably ready to make that step up. Whether it's as a starter and a lower league, a lower in the league, Premier League sort of side. I mean, you're looking at your Forests again, your Crystal Palaces. He could probably do a job there. Yeah. He could probably do a job at any of those sites. Well, he would do a job at any of those sites. He'd be a good, a strong signing. We've seen Taif Chong, who you might remember from Man United youth ranks, went to Birmingham on a permanent and is now signed for Luton and will probably play in the 10 for Luton this season. And, you know, Man United do have a lot of young players that come through and are good. I think Hannibal might be the next to step up to the first team and be not a regular, but I'd say probably a rotation option his profile's very similar to sort of Mason Mount and Bruno Fernandes, sort of a mix between the two of them. So he could re- there's two roles there in the Dream starting eleven that say, God forbid, Bruno Fernandes gets a, a long-term injury or even a short-term injury. You then have to find a solution for that role. Hannibal could play a minor role this season, I think. Then on to Palestri. Amadella's got injured. Palestri was really good against Athletic Club. He was probably the best player on the pitch. And I do think he was probably realistically thinking about, rethinking his his options ahead of the new season. You know, he, he last week it was, we said he might go out on loan to someone in Spain. Now Amadiello's injured. It looks like that's opened a door for him to get back into the United first team squad of picture, sort of interact and hogs thinking. And then Onana impressed me. Mate Kovar, who didn't go to the US, but he was really impressive before that. I think he might end up staying as the third choice goalkeeper this season with Tom Heaton's second choice and Onana obviously his first choice. I think players who've really impressed me, neither of the right backs have particularly, which is the massive point of contention for it's the, the first game. One, of the, it? it's, it's the, the only, only real the point only of contention. The on the pitch where yeah. there is no, there's no obvious on name. Let's get you there. Like, you know, you say name on the team sheet sort of thing. Yeah. You know, you're Casemiro, you're Bruno you know, Fernandes. The, the squad is Mason fully Mount. fit at this point, apart from Hoyland. Apart from that, you've got the pick of the bunch that you can choose for that first game against Wolves. Who's going to start a right back? Is the Neither of them have really stood out for me in pre-season. Left back, Luke Shaw, Molassi's been injured the whole time. Obviously, the rest of the squad really picks itself. Kobe Mainu, I do think... At the end of last season, I thought... He won the Sir Jimmy Murphy Award for the best young player at the club. And he didn't really play. He only made something like four first team appearances last season. And I was sort of debating, is that really enough to win the young player of the season award at the club? He's proven me wrong in this preseason. I think he'll play a lot more games this season, especially with Man United fighting on four fronts, hopefully. We're going to see a lot more Kobe Mainu. He's impressed me in preseason. And then apart from that, you're moving forward throughout the pitch Sancho has, but Sancho always does. You know, Sancho he shows a lot of resilience on preseason, and then when we get 
to the start of the season. He then doesn't play, or if he does play, he doesn't really make much impact, which this is make or break for Sancho this season, really. I'd like to have seen him nail down his place in pre-season, which he hasn't really done. And then disappointing from pre-season, it's got to be Mason Mount. He just, that that sitter against Lons that he missed, it would have been his first home goal for Man United. Would have been his first goal, in fact, for Man United. And it would have been at home pre-season. You've got your your account off to a start before you've even played a competitive game. It would have been the perfect start to his United career, especially at Old Trafford. He missed it and he just, he looks a bit, he, like, well, Samuel said in the Monday's episode of the Manchester Red podcast, he's better off the ball than he is on it, which there's questions to be asked about how well his preseason's gone. I think we should give him time. Obviously, he is a really good footballer. We know he's a really good footballer. He won the Champions League with Chelsea. Like, he's got to be a fantastic footballer. I just hope we see it sooner rather than later at Man United because, you know, there's a lot of pressure on Man United players. But has anyone really impre- impressed or disappointed you that I haven't mentioned? Garnacho in that Lons game. Yeah. I thought he was outrageous. He was just incredible. Like, uh, we, we, we sort of talked about it on Saturday about him being Ronaldo-like. And we sort of said, you know, we sort of said it with a bit of a wince, like, how dare we compare him to Ronaldo? He's 18, 19. We're comparing him to Ronaldo. He's just, I'm, you know, sick of hearing it. But then on Monday, on, on the Manchester's Red Pod, Samuel Untied talked about it and said, you know, he'll follow the Ronaldo path and join Real Madrid in four or five years. And I'm like, do you know what? Maybe we weren't... We weren't miles off. Maybe we weren't far off it when we were saying that. And again, you know, you see your player perform once or twice and you think, oh my God, he's a world beater. But, you know, with the right attitude, and I think with what Gana, uh, Ten Hag did to him last season where he basically didn't give him a pre-season because he was, he's had, he had bad attitude. Look at look at how it's how he's, how he's turned out. And I just think Garnacho is one of them players where this season, like you say about Sancho make or break. Well, I think... Garnacho's performances could be the reason that Sancho's season is break, you know, rather than make. And and I think that if he carries on the trajectory he's on, and if he if he gets consistent minutes on that left side, I think that he can be a superstar. And I think he can be one of the best players in world football over the next five years. And talking about Mbappe and Haaland being the uh, the two, you know, the the replacements of Messi and Ronaldo. And I think well, Garnacho's probably not going to be far off that if he keeps on the trajectory he's on. And I know it sounds completely outrageous to make that sort of statement, but that's that's how how excited I am for this player. And I don't want it to come across like I'm bigging him up because I hate the idea of bigging a player up beyond their their ceiling. But I, I do think you look at him compared to um, the lad who's just left for Forest. And Alanga, I would say Forson. It's obviously not Forson. Alanga, and you, you could see Ilanga's yeah. clearly got a, a ceiling there. You know, especially for United. You look at Garnacho, and he's just absolutely tearing him a new one down that left side. His energy, his ability, his his skill. It's just it just gives me all the feelings that I had when I when I watched Ronaldo join United. And 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 again, I don't want to get ahead of myself, and I don't want to get too giddy about it. But I really, I really believe that this player has the the potential and with the right manager who I think Ten Hag is I think he can really achieve something and what it, what it does Sam is it brings us on to United are playing Wolves on Monday yeah. we need to give a, a sort of starting 11 prediction now we've already talked about the point of contention at right back I would pick Wan-Bissaka to start right back over Dallow I think Wan-Bissaka is a, a much more rounded right back I think he's a, the, the best right back in that position but I understand that Dallow gives that element going See, forward. I'd, I'd have to combat that and say I want. I think Dallow should start. I yeah. think Dallow's a lot brings a lot more going forward, and Wolves look really poor. If you want to start on the front foot, 
I think this is really a chance to go and score a lot of goals, really put Wolves to the sword and start the season as you mean to go on. And I think Dallow offers a lot more in attack, especially against what's looking like it'll be a back four from Wolves without really that much strength. Well, they've lost Ruben Nevers, haven't they? And they've yeah. not replaced him. No. I mean, they've not replaced anybody. They just keep losing players. So, if United don't go and beat them four or five nil, I'll be disappointed. Yeah. Simply because Wolves are the relegation. I think they're relegation fodder this season. I've I've got, I, I, think, I was doing my uh, prediction for the final league, and I've got them as nineteenth. So, Luton, Austin, Sheffield United, Sheffield United bottom. Yeah, unfortunately. No, my bottom three: Wolves, Sheffield United, Luton. Uh, or Bournemouth are just about just about surviving um, it depends Luton might have one of those seasons where they're a new team and like a little excited little I think puppy. it means more for Luton because it's their, but oh, Premier yeah, League Luton. teams have not played yeah. against them so a bit no. like when Sheffield United had that first season with um, exactly Chris, this, that's my, with Chris Wilder Chris Wilder and they were they were, they were were like beating teams and they finished what 8th or ninth or something like that Yeah, I, I think that Luton have the potential to do that Sheffield United I just think they've They've been around enough. You know, Luton have never been in the Premier League. These Premier League teams won't have as much research on them as they would have. You like to see Sheffield United, yeah. Bournemouth. This, and is, I think. this is huge for Luton. Just being in the Prem is huge for Luton. Sheffield United have been there, been there, been relegated and come back up again. And they looked okay in the Championship last season. They weren't Burnley level. Who Burnley looked really good. And then Sheffield United, obviously, with the next level below, but they've sold all the players. So I think if you're looking at putting aside to the sword, I think Wolves are probably your boys. Yeah, and given how the results haven't been that amazing on previous of United, they need to hit, hit with a statement as well. And it's Wolves, you know, nobody likes watching United play Wolves. We play them that often. And I think we had a couple of seasons ago, we played them four times in a season and there, there were four turgid games as well. Um, but uh, yeah, oh, listen, Sam, I need to wrap it up. As yes. I said, I've got a, got a doctor's appointment You've to get to. Rush this off. is a real life situation. Yeah. This is not just us doing the pod and, and everything. But um I'm going to name my starting 11. I want you to name your starting 11 and then I want to score a prediction from you. So I would obviously, I think the strongest starting 11 United have available we should put out. Obviously the points of contention are who starts at right back and who starts up top. So I'm going to go O'Nana in goal, Luke Shaw, Verana Martinez at the back, Wan-Bissaka, Casemiro, Eriksen, uh, sorry, Casemiro, Fernandez and Mount. And then I'm going to go Garnacho, uh, Rashford and um, Anthony on the right. And now it was a toss up between Anthony and Sancho, but I think Anthony will probably get get the nod. And I think United will win 4 0. What do you reckon? I think very similar. Onana, Shaw, Martinez, Varane, Dallow at right back, Casemiro, Mount, Fernandez, Anthony on the right. I think I'd have to go Anthony as well. And then Garnacho on the left, Rashford up front. If it was Hoyland, I would like to see Garnacho on the right, just to see if he can play there, because that's really where Man United need a bit more depth if Garnacho can add right wing and left wing to his game. If Rashford needs to play up front, Rashford can play up front and Garnacho can play on the left. If Rashford needs to play on the left, Garnacho can play on the right. And then So would you pick Garnacho over Anthony? At right, at right now, yeah. Wow. Anthony's had a poor pre-season and I think I think he needs a bit of competition there okay. to really push him on. But Sancho's his competition. I know, but Sancho's not. And Garnacho's a better player than Sancho, I think. So wow. I think he is. Uh, right now, I think fair he probably yeah, is. Yeah. In form, yeah. 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 So I, I would like, but I think I was a big fan of Anthony at Ajax before he signed for Man United and I know he's got the ability to do it. He just doesn't show it and that really frustrates me. I think he would show it with a bit more competition. So that's really where I'd go. And then score prediction, I want to see a clean sheet is the really important one. I want to see the in defensive improvement that Onana's going to bring. So I'm going to have to say 3-0. I don't think Man United will put them quite to the sword because there's no Hoyland there. But I do think 
it will be a real domination. And very lastly, Sam, before we sign this podcast off, what would you think is a successful season for Rasmus Hoyland? For Rasmus Hoyland, I think double figures for goals. If he gets double figures for goals and double figures for assists, brilliant season. Brilliant debut season in England. I, I agree. I think I think he'll get five Premier League goals this season. I think yeah. he'll get ten, ten goals, ten goals total. overall. And, um, you know, it's his debut season. He might be a bit of a deer in the headlights. He's never played in the Premier League. Ten Hag's adamant that he's Premier League quality. I've never seen him play. Most of us listening to this have probably never seen him play, let's be honest. Nobody goes out there and looks for Denmark games or Atalanta, Atalanta games, games unless they're in the yeah. Europe, Europe uh, competitions. So, anyway, Tham, Sam, Tham. Tham. Sam, Sam, thanks for joining me. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, as I say, I won't be here next week. Sam will be uh, on his own with one of our writers, uh, or if not, he'll be on his own. I'm going on holiday, and uh, I will tune in, Sam. So let me know when the podcast goes out. I will look forward to listening to it. The Manchester's Red podcast will be back on Friday, and Sam will be back with Monday. a... I'll have a post-match podcast on Monday, probably, um, depending on... Manchester's Red Podcast on Monday or Tuesday next week. I imagine the Manchester's Red Pod will be on Tuesday. Probably next week. Tuesday to review that Wolves game. Yeah, and then we one on Friday, and you'll be there midweek. One on Friday. Oh, podcast galore here in the Manchester Evening News. Thanks for joining me, Sam. Thanks for having us, and thanks for listening. Don't forget to like, follow, subscribe on all our socials, and follow me and Sam on Twitter if you wish. I'm at Seb Parkinson. He is at Sam Hutch M E N. Send us a tweet. Send us some abuse. Whatever you want. Whatever you like. Whatever you see. You pay the money. You pay the price. Thank. Thank you and good night.